Amen. This is Luke chapter 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he, and he would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm going to teach you something today that's going to be entitled The Prodigal's Son. Why don't you shake hands with someone, say something nice to them, and then you can sit down. I still remember, I still remember the over overpowering stench of the rotting sweetness of Mr. Sampson's pigs. When I was a kid, there was a man that lived close to my grandmother and down by the creek, he had a pigsty. And um, we just terrorized them pigs. <clears throat> there was a cornfield right by it and we would take corn and we'd break corn and throw it to them big pigs and they'd just bite it and be so just enjoy it and then about every fourth thing we'd throw in a lump of coal and they'd and they scream and squeal and, and then we'd throw some corn to them and they just came back and it was quality entertainment to a hillbilly kid okay we didn't have iPads, iWatches, iPhones we had pigs and uh <laughs> I saw a man shoot one of Mr. Sampson's pigs one time. They were getting ready to butcher him. And the pig was so big, the bullet just stayed right on the top of his skull. It never even went in the skull. It was so big. And I still remember that big pig. He ran through a four-strand barbed wire fence. Just ping, just ran through it and took off. And uh, big rascal, big rascal. And, uh, but the smell... I, I, I don't suppose I will ever forget that smell, that the slop that they fed them mixed with corn cobs and corn husks and all mashed into the mud with the dew and the rain and their own filth. And they would just lay in it, you know, and the sloppier the better. <laughs> Luke 15 is a powerful trilogy of parables. First, parable that Jesus gave in Luke 15 is what is known as the lost sheep. 99 sheep safe in the barn. All of a sudden he realizes one's missing. He went and found that one lost sheep. Came back, the Bible said, rejoicing, rejoicing. There's a scripture that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you're, you just can't let him throw you under the bus and you just can't just stand there lifeless and go, go ahead, you know, give me your best shot. I love it. Uh, I remember years ago, um, Rodney King, 
uh, that, that's an old name to people that Rodney King was a black man and they just starting to get into recording and somebody recorded the police beating him and uh, uh, they said that he was resisting arrest and, uh, and he was and I didn't blame him if I was getting beat on like that but he was doing everything he can to, to keep from getting hit with them sticks. That's my mental motto of that scripture, resist the devil. Don't just stand there and, you know, just resist. You, you can't resist if you don't have strength. So the question is, where do you get the strength? The answer is in the Bible. It said the joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay, so what, what do you enjoy doing? What? What, what, what do you like to do? Now take that same concept and approach, apply it to Jesus. What brings him joy? What brings him joy? The old philosophical question, who am I? Why am I here? The Bible answers that question. It says all things were created by him and for him and for his pleasure. They are and they were created. You're never going to know fulfillment in your life until you bring your creator pleasure. It's just not going to happen. Okay. And I don't care what you accumulate. I don't care what you have, how much stuff you have until you bring him pleasure. You're never going to know fulfillment in life. You just won't. And, um, so what brings the Lord joy? It says in this first parable, finding a lost sheep, he's rejoicing. So there's the lesson there. The weakest churches are churches that don't invest in other people. The weakest Christians are the ones who are in their own little orbit, in their own little world. And they never, ever, ever get outside of their comfort zone. That's stingy. It's really what it is. It's it's craziness. You know, there's nowhere in a Lord's prayer will you find the word I or me or mine. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On and on. Your praise, your glory. It's all, all, all for someone else. Look at the ministry of Jesus when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. and He's anointed me to preach good tidings unto the poor, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. None of that was for Jesus. Every, every bit of it was for somebody else. Uh, that was his whole ministry. And, and if, if, if you want to be strong, you're going to have to have the joy of the Lord. What brings Jesus joy? When somebody that's lost finds and is brought to the safety of the fold or of the church. You'll be stronger if you're involved in soul winning. You'll be stronger if you're involved in other people's lives and not just be stingy and narcissistic and everything. It's just me, 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 me. And that's the first story. The second parable immediately after that is what is known as the lost coin. The coin was lost in the house and the woman searched and searched and searched until she found the lost coin. The third parable in the trilogy is 
what is known as the prodigal son. And um, I I've, have come to a point in my life in pastoring when I realize um, it could all be the same person. That first of all, that person was lost and found the safety of the church and then ended up getting lost in the house. And then they left and went to the pig pen. I, I, I preached for years about rich and poor and life and death. I, so many people don't understand the difference between life and death. Um, to, to many people, death is, is a box in a, in a six-foot hole. But Jesus said you can be dead before you die. Jesus, on several occasions, said, let the dead bury the dead. He was talking about living people, but he called them dead people. You know, that's why it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were, past sins, who were dead, where? In trespass and sin. I don't have time to reinvent the wheel. And I, this is one of my favorite subjects, and I can't afford the luxury of giving, getting whatever, seduced by it right now and teach you to you all over again. But the, 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 the cliff notes are these. Death is separation from God. Death is sin. You know, because, you know, he told Adam, he said, in the day you eat of this, you're going to die. The day you eat of this, you're going to die. Now, Adam lived to be over 900 years old. So he didn't physically die on the day he ate the fruit. That explains a verse in Ezekiel chapter 18 that says, all souls are mine. The soul of the father is mine. The soul of the son is mine. And the soul that sinneth it shall die. So your soul can die. Your body can be functioning. So you've got a spirit, a soul, and a body, but your soul can die. That's why when you read Genesis 2 and 7, God breathed his breath into man and man became a living soul. It says that in Corinthians 15, first Adam, living soul, second man, quickening spirit. It's just, it's just in other words, the soul can't live without the life of God's spirit. Okay? You, you understand that? And, and so Adam is the federal head of the human race. Everything that comes out of him is dead. And, and so that's, that's what the gospel is all about. It's Jesus Christ getting his own kids back. And you look at the way he made man. First he made a body and then man with the breath of life, the spirit of God, then man became a living soul. And that's how man was made. And so in order for God to get people back, he's got to backtrack. So the first thing he's got to fix, this is soul. The Bible said in Leviticus 17, 11, I've given you the blood on the altar to make an atonement for your soul. You know, Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago. How in the world are you going to get his blood today? Today, how are you going to get that? Here we go. This is second service, so I can get away with this. <laughs> 17, 11, Levit, Levit, 17 and 11 of Leviticus says, life of the flesh is in the blood. It doesn't say that in the New Testament. It says these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life through his name. So according to John 20 and verse 31, if you have the name Jesus, you have life. Life's in the name. If you have life based on Leviticus 17, 11, you have blood. If you have blood based on Hebrews 9 and 22, you have remission. If you have remission, then Jesus Christ got Alzheimer's. And you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. 
It's very, very important, see? But if you, watch, but if you don't have the name, you can't have life because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you don't have the name, you don't have life. If you don't have life, you don't have blood. Without blood, there is no remission. Without remission, you just got wet. I'm trying to teach you something. The blood is in the name. Okay? That's how we access the blood of the cross today. The, that's why today you're going to see these people get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible, that's right. The Bible said the blood and the water have to agree. They have to agree. The blood's in the name. Without the name, there's nothing there to, it's just water. Okay, but the powerful detergent of the blood is in the name of Jesus. And when you're baptized in his name, wahoo, it's magic. It's magic. And it's a powerful, it's a powerful story, ladies and gentlemen. And, And the reason I'm telling you this is because when the prodigal son came back, this is what his father said. Um, he said, this, my son, was dead. He said, this, my son, was dead and is alive again. You know, my dad passed a little over a year ago and there were well-meaning people. They meant well. They just were ignorant, you know. And they said, we're sorry you lost your dad. And I didn't want to correct them, but it's like I didn't lose nothing. If you know where something is, you haven't lost it. I know where my dad is, okay? My dad got carried. Amen. We buried him, but the Lord carried him. That's what it says in the scripture. Okay? And 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 this this is amazing because ladies and gentlemen, there's only one pig pen in the Bible. Okay? So if you were here Wednesday, I talked to you about another pig pen. Uh, Matthew 8 talks about it. Mark chapter 5 talks about it. Luke chapter 8 talks about it. It's known as the demoniac of Gadara. Gad. Gadarenes. <laughs> See, I've, I've heard all my life about the prodigal son. But look at this board behind me. My subject is not the prodigal son. My subject is the prodigal's son. I'm wondering, is the demoniac of Gadara the son of the prodigal? Is it possible dad and son found the same pig pen? Is it possible that God did something? See, when that, when, that, when that boy is in that pig pen, the Bible said he came to himself. Came to himself. But, boy, when you're dealing with this other one, you're talking about the demoniac, the prodigal son. Jesus came himself. There's a great scripture in the book of Job, and it says, out of the womb of a woman are the issues of life. In other words, if you're going to come to the planet, you have to come through the womb of a woman. When Jesus, you know, Jesus says, hey, we're going we're gonna to dock the boat right here. And, and I, I'm reading between the lines, but it's like his, his disciples are going, hey, Jesus, right around the bend, there's a really nice cove back there. Man, they got great fish sandwiches. It's just, let's just go around the bend. That's a graveyard. I know it's a graveyard. Just put the boat in there. And when he gets out of the bow of the boat, 
This guy comes running to him with all these devils in him. I heard a man preach years ago. There's three different kinds of Roman legions. There was 12,000, 6,000, 2,000. Let's take the, the minimum. This guy, let's say he's got 2,000 devils in him. He ran and worshiped Jesus. So what's our excuse? If that guy could have enough sense to worship Jesus with 2,000 problems, uh, I, I got like four right now. Okay, you, maybe you, well, you got six. Whoa. But if this guy can worship Jesus with 2,000 legitimate enemies and obstacles in his spirit, I, I don't think you and I have an excuse to sit there and go. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him. You might be what God's looking for. You don't understand how much God's not looking for your money. God's not looking for your education. If you got it, I keep telling people you need an education. You young people get an education and then get over it. Because there's, there's gotta be an understanding inside of us. God's looking for worshipers. That's what he's looking for. You know, you, you stay the book of Hebrews. If you, you, you study the, the cadence of the book of, who's, go to, give, give us Hebrews 11. Who, who's, anybody know who the first guy is mentioned in Hebrews? Hebrews 11, anybody know? Let's see if we can find it. Now do you know? Okay. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. So who's the next guy that's mentioned? Anybody know? Hmm? Probably Enoch. He walks with God. Who's the next guy that's mentioned? The guy that built the boat. What's Noah famous for? He built a boat. He's a great worker. Okay? But who's the guy ahead of him? The guy that did more than work for God. He walked with God. But who's the first guy that's mentioned? He's a worshiper. I know lots of people who work in church, but they don't worship and they don't, they, they don't, they don't walk with the Lord. See, I know people that walk with people who walk with God. See, see, Elijah walked with God and Elisha who walked with God walked with Elijah, but Gehazi didn't walk with God. He just walked with Elisha. See, Judas Iscariot, he, he, just, he, he, he just walked with the other. He, Demas. Paul said, Demas left me, having left, you know, for the city of Thessalonica. He just, Paul walked with God, but Demas is just hanging out with, with Paul. And I know, I know you need good friends. I, I, I would never minimize that. But for goodness sakes, don't just keep hanging out with people that walk with Jesus. You need your own walk. You need your own experience. But I'll tell you something higher than that. If you work for God, great. But you've got to do more than work for God. The Bible said the Lord working with them. And you've got, to, you've got to work with them, not for them. Okay? All right? Yeah, yes, we need to work. And we need to walk. But the highest calling is worshipers. Are you a worshiper? That's what God's looking for. Lot, lots of workers, a lot of us, but God's looking for worshipers. Why? Because that's the jet fuel. 
that makes the power of God operate in this world. Worship. Worship. Ah, Jesus. And it's just, it, 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 this, this, there's so many lessons here, but it, it's, I think there's a real possibility that the demoniac of Gadara is actually the son of the prodigal in Luke 15. And there are things you need to learn. When that guy's in that pig pen, the Bible said he came to himself. He came to himself. I, years ago, you know, someone rebuked me a couple years ago. God love him. Poor, dumb, ignorant. You know, you're not a real preacher because you don't preach about hell enough. And I, I know hell's in the Bible. I, I get that. Most of what we know about hell came from Jesus. This is how church used to go. People come to church, you preach them into hell, they get scared to death, they come to the altar. I don't preach you into hell, and I'll tell you why. I don't think you need to preach this world into hell. I think they live in hell. I think the purpose of the church is to preach them out of hell. All right? I, 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 really, I really strongly believe that. This, I know it's not very big. We used to have a big one. This is kind of small, but this is called a pulpit. And it's two words. My job is to pull you out of the pit. And, and, and it, it's, you can preach the prodigals all you want and you're not going to get anywhere. They have to come to themselves. They have to come to themselves. Everybody, I'll quote a verse. Most of you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. But listen to the very next verse. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? They're condemned already. They're condemned already. And, and it's just, I, I, years ago I taught you something about the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation. I, I was, it, this, it's been a progressive. If you've been with me for the last three months, he, I, I real, the Lord opened something into my heart about Isaiah 9 and 6, you know, and unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and you'll call his name, the son's name. You're going to, talking about Jesus Christ here. You're going to call his name wonderful. I have no problem calling Jesus wonderful. And then it says, counselor. So I just... For years, I thought, well, that means he gives us good advice. You know, that's the power of the word. Great information in the word. Know the truth. It'll set you on and on free. But, but then I remembered a judge just saying, well, counsel, approach the bench. And when I heard that, I realized I was wrong. When it says wonderful counselor, it doesn't mean he's our psychiatrist. It means he's our defense attorney. All right. The Bible said Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the prosecuting attorney. Jesus, the Bible in 1 John said he's our advocate. The, the best way to transliterate that Greek word is defense attorney. He's my counsel. He's going to defend me against that accusation of the enemy. Okay? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's I, 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 if you've been here, it's just, isn't it? I, I talked to you Wednesday about Melchizedek 
You know, that's Jesus Christ was from Judah. He was not from Levi. And the Bible said, thou art a Psalms 1 and 10, 110 rather, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ, the, the, the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament could only take us so far. We needed a better priesthood. We did that. You read the book of Hebrews, 13 times in the book of Hebrews, it uses that word better. We got a better altar. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better high priest. On and on and on you go. But you've got to understand, what, what is Hebrews? He, the, the book of Hebrews is the last attempt to convince Jewish Christians that what they had in Jesus Christ was superior to what they had under the law of Moses. And when you read Hebrews chapter seven, it talks about Melchizedek and how Abraham tithed unto him. And it goes on and on. And it said that consider this man, consider how great this man was. He's a, he's an old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has a ministry from the lineage of Melchizedek. It's better, okay? It's a better priesthood. It's a better offering. Everything about it is just better. And, and, and you, you, you've, you've got this enemy of your soul that's just trying to beat the, just beat you to death. Remember when we were kids? Shame on you. Do kids even do that anymore? When I was a shame on you. Here's Satan. Go ahead, do it, do it, go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, do it, go. What'd you do that for? Bad, 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 bad. I could understand if it was the tree of the knowledge of evil, but it's the knowledge of good and evil. And that always amazed me. How could something good be bad? And then I realized it's two sides of the same coin. See, if Satan can't get you with condemnation, how bad you are, he'll get you with self-righteousness. He'll get you with how good you are. I'm a good guy. I'm a good woman. I haven't done anything anybody else hasn't done. And it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just a deception. The whole thing is deception. And, 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 and it, it fascinates me because, because it says in Romans chapter eight, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that was weak in the flesh, God sending his own son in flesh and, and, and condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It, it, it's, it's a powerful treatise because people say, well, I, I want to go to a church where they always make me feel better. There, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation comes from the enemy. It says the church is clean. You're dirty. They're wonderful. You're a wreck. They're magnificent. You, you're, you're a reprobate. Don't even think about being in that church. You're going to botch it up. You, 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 you're going you're to mess it up. Don't, 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 don't take your dirty life into a clean church. Condemnation drives you from church. Condemnation drives you from God. It drives you from prayer. But conviction says, Yes, I messed up, but I needed to pray. I should have been in church. I should have been in the word. One drives you away from God. The other drives you to God. So I'm here to deal in conviction today. I'm not here to convict, condemn you. But I want you to understand something, daddy. Stay out of the pig pen. Stay out of the pig pen. But if, because if we keep messing around with that slop and that sty and that filth, not only are we have a, going to have a history there, but our kids might end up in the very same pig pen we wallowed in. Get out of that thing. 
clean who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart and hasn't lifted up his soul to vanity and pride. It's just, I, I, I've said this for, we could have the greatest, most spiritual service in the history of Pentecost today. And you walk out of there and Satan meets you under that porch and said, uh, this is what he's not going to say. You know, you just came out of a Holy Ghost service and you're way too clean. And I'm going to give you a mandatory 10 day cooling off period. And uh, um, Brother Michael, you can get ready. And uh, I'll give you a mandatory 10 day cooling off period. And I'll come back in a week and a half. And then maybe, maybe you'll be dirty enough by then. I'll let you join my bunch. No, 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 no. You, you, could, you could come out of the greatest prayer meeting you've ever been. And Satan says, I'll take you right now. Why then? Why then when we mess up, do we think the Lord puts us on probation and puts us in six months? You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do four of these, six of those, nine of those. And just ladies and gentlemen, if Satan will take you at your very best, Jesus will take you at your very worst. And if, and if we don't believe that, then, then we're admitting there's a Satan that wants people more than our Savior does. And I don't believe that for one minute. But you have to understand whether they come to themselves or whether he comes himself. This is where we as parents have to park. Do you believe there's a God? Let's just, let's just check that box right now, okay? He that cometh must believe that he is. Do you believe there is one? Do you believe his saving name is Jesus? Had a boy, had a girl. Wonderful. Now let's go to the next. And do you believe he's a rewarder of them who half-heartedly, every now and then, when they feel like it, seek him? Nope. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Seek him. We, we want to tell the prodigal how bad he is. The word says, you seek him and let him work on them. We don't need to condemn them. They're already condemned. You don't need to preach to them. They already know they're screwed up. What do we do? There's got to be an understanding in our heart. My wife and I, my wife was so wonderful the other day. You know, let's face it. He knows everything. Okay. He knows everything. And he's got all power. So why do we need to pray? I mean, hey, Jesus, I, I think you forgot something. He, you don't have to remind him. He knows everything. If there's one thing I can tell you about Jesus, he'll never be surprised. Never. You know, you come to the altar and said, I, I really hate to tell you this, Jesus, but I did this. And Jesus goes, oh, no, not you. I can believe that out of Parsons down there and old Bezor there. I can believe that out of them, but not you. No, man. He's the truth. Oh, here we go. Pentecost. We, I've been taught all my life. We have the truth. Like Richard Nixon. The truth. 
I heard Mitch Berg, Hedberg one time say, we're always saying peace, peace. He said, just walk in the room and say two. <laughs> Never mind, you'll get it later on. <laughs> it's just... I, I don't need to tell people how bad they are. They already know. Do I really believe he'll reward me if I diligently seek him. This is what the Amplified Bible says, the effectual, fervent, heartfelt, continued prayer of righteous people matters, avails, which means makes him available in a situation because God limited himself when he came in flesh. Jesus got tired. He went to sleep in the bottom of a boat. He literally one time said, I'm hungry. One time he said, I'm thirsty. He, that flesh died. God limited himself with that physical house. You got that? So we're the church, okay? God limited himself. When I was a kid, I used to, have the, I used to watch this thing, Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Gun Matt Dillon, Miss Kitty, Festus Hagen. I, I remember... Gunsmoke, man. This guy, I've shot a lot of guns in my life, man. I really have. And, 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 and this guy comes out at the end of the street. He's that big. Matt Dillon doesn't even aim. He just goes, pow. He's five blocks away. And he, he center punches the guy and the guy's dead, you know. Gunsmoke. With James Arness as Matt Dillon. I remember Matt Dillon left one time and he had this guy named Festus Hagen who, who never shaved and it's always kind of grungy. I still remember Matt Dillon taking the badge off and coming up to Festus and pinning it up and said, I have to be gone. You're in charge. Festus straightened up, shaved. Don't you get it? That's what Jesus did. He took him out as far as Bethany went, I'm leaving for a while. You're in charge. You're in charge. What? He limited himself through the flesh again, which means if we don't pray for it, it ain't going to happen. But the effectual, heartfelt, continued prayer of righteous people matters. Do you, have, do you have anybody in the pig pen today? The answer is not to lose your faith. The Bible said when that prodigal came back, the, the dad said, kill the fatted calf. Or you could say, kill the fatted calf. Which means that, 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 that when the kid came back and he said, kill the fatted calf, the servants knew exactly which cow daddy was talking about. Which meant that when the boy left, instead of daddy, the priest of the home, imploding and being full of anxiety and fear, he said, no, cut that, little, that, that one out of that steer out of the herd. Feed him extra grain and groceries because my boy's coming back. And when he comes back, we're going to have picnic. And we're not going to have to go down to Kroger's to get the takes and to get the, the, you understand that? Listen to me, daddy, feed the cow. Come on, mom, feed the cow. The answer is not to lose your faith about a backslid boy or a backslid girl. Let's have diligent, heartfelt, continued, effectual, fervent prayer. Stand, 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 stand. 
everybody, you know, uh, I'll, I left you hanging. I was taught all my life, Acts 2.38 is the truth. That's what I was taught. We have the truth. What people don't understand, there's no scripture in the Bible that says Acts 2.38 is the truth. The truth is not a doctrinal position. The truth is a person. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the, I'm the truth. Do you realize that one God people killed Jesus? Whoa. You know, there was a woman that followed the apostles one time and said, these are the men of the most high God. And whatever they say, you need to do it. He turned around and cast the devil out of her. She's doctrinally correct. Spirits messed up. The truth, ladies and gentlemen, is not Acts 2.38. The truth is Jesus Christ. And the Bible said, if you don't receive a love of the truth, there's a, there's a terrifying scripture in Thessalonians. It says, if you want to believe falsehood bad enough, he'll help you. God himself will send you a delusion that you'll believe a lie and be damned. That's scary to me. I, I, had a, I, I heard a great preacher to, said something to one time to me. He said, I pray all the time that I won't be deceived. And I said, why? And he said, because you'll never know. We all know Acts 2.38. But do you know Acts 2.39? For the promise is unto you and to your children. And if this thing doesn't affect our kids, we're full of baloney. We might as well go to the ball game and get drunk. This thing has got to go on. You know, there's a scripture that says, one generation shall praise thee to another. And if you do the Hebrew, it means that you can praise God so loud in this generation, the next generation, which isn't even born yet, can be affected by your praise. <laughs> Daddy, mom. You can affect your grandkids. You can affect your great-grandkids to the fourth, third, and fourth generation. You can affect your great-great-grandkids by the way you magnify God in your life. Come with me around an altar. Young, these precious young people, please come. I thank you for being patient with me. I, I know I preach too long. And these teachers come, coming up here. You've been teaching these young people in vacation Bible school. and Just, just come behind them. And then if you would, I want the rest of you to come. I won't embarrass you. Trust me, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just, just come. Every, if, you, if you can walk, get out of your pew and come up here right now. The Bible said, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. I've always believed the read. There is not one verse that says Saul of Tarsus wanted to change. Why did Jesus Christ choose Saul, who became the apostle Paul? greatest missionary of the world's ever it was the prayer of Stephen Stephen's prayer is when the Lord chose Saul what are you saying I want you to come up here and if you got kids here great you need to pray for them but don't just pray for your kids I want to know if you can pray for somebody else's kids just like you pray for your kids I want to know if you can pray for somebody else's family as much as you pray for your own family because that's the whole thing. I'm trying to get you out of your world. I'm trying to get you out of your little orbit. I'm trying to help you to get a greater frame of reference here. I want you to, I want you to grow in prayer. Length, breadth, breadth, world without end. Just, oh. We're going to pray right now. When we get done, they're going to baptize people up here. 
and or if you're ready to baptize him, Michael, whatever, or Stephen, whatever, you want to do both at the same time? Why don't you baptize this lady here right now? That's a great way to start. We're ready. She's ready. This is wonderful. This is an amazing lady. This is an amazing lady right here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I magnify you today, Lord. I exalt you in this house. I stand by this new sister of mine. Amen. 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 Are you ready? In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. All around you 